This is the Squared Goal Podcast with Mark Morris and Jared Maruyama. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Squared Co. Podcast. I am your host, Mark Morris, and with me again, Mr. Jared Mariyama. What's going on, Jared? Can you hear that? Whoa, I did hear that, but yeah. I have no idea what that is. You have no idea what that is? That's why I am so excited about today. <laughs> I'm all set. So I got my I, friends here ready to go. So I can see this, but because right. this is an audio medium... What Jared has right now is uh, all of his Kim Possible toys and figures. Uh, it's Kim Possible, Ron, and I forget the name of the hairless. Rufus. Rufus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so very excited about today's show. Can't wait to get started. So. <laughs> all right. So with that being said, um, our guest is none other than the Mr. Stephen Silver. Hooray. Welcome to the Squared Co. Podcast, Stephen. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Excited. <laughs> so we actually met, Stephen and I met a couple weekends ago at the, there was this master podcast class held by Adam Carolla and his team. Mm-hmm. Um, this was at the Irvine Improv, and it was basically an entire day dedicated to learning some of the tips and tricks from about podcasting from the current leader of the podcasting world, I guess. Um, Adam Carolla holds like the Guinness Book of World Records for the most downloaded podcast. Oh, I didn't know um, Yeah, so Stephen is... I'm not necessarily a fan. Not I shouldn't say I'm not a fan, but I didn't, don't listen to the Adam Carolla podcast. Were you... Um, a listener to his podcast shows before you went to the class? You know, funnily enough, uh, not. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was always a fan of Adam Carolla. I used to listen to him on yeah. Loveline and all that. And a friend of mine, uh, my wife's good friend, she said she was going to this Adam Carolla podcasting. I've talked to my wife about, hey, I'm cur- I'm interested in podcasting. So I was basically got the invite from her uh, to go, go and so I was familiar with him. So I thought, yeah, uh-huh. I'll go check it out, see what it's all about. So I was there. The class, uh, like I said, it was all day event, and they broke it down. Like every hour was a different kind of topic, and mm. they would pull from their team whoever was the you know air quotes expert on that topic. So the first hour was kind of an introduction to what podcasting is and its growth. And then as the day progressed, you got into more of the technical side and how to market your podcast and so forth. Now, but this is a very long day, right? Like this wasn't just like an hour yeah, seminar or I something. Yeah, I think it was like 9.30 to 4. Yeah, I think it went, yeah, it went to 4. Yeah, nine, yeah about yeah. 9.30 to 4. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was, de- it was an all-day thing. Um, it's like traffic school. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit but, more engaging and entertaining. It was good. Yeah, it was a, so, li- yeah. a little bit more fun than traffic school. That, so was it good, sure. though? Did you guys get uh, some good information from it? Was it helpful? Um, yeah. I mean, so they had a very different perspective or it was a very specific perspective uh, on podcasting in general. Like, I think they were looking at it as more of a business 
um, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing. And I think the most people who are, are getting into podcasting, like <laughs> they're hoping to make money from it in some way. Sure. Uh, for us and the Squared Co podcast is more of building a brand and kind of getting a bigger following and sharing what's going on in the world of Squared Co with its fans and listeners. Oh, um, crap. I yeah. was this for the money. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> you know, I think so, that, that's almost like what I got from it too. I mean, the biggest thing, the takeaway that I got from it really was it is a brand building medium. You know, of course, the mm-hmm. most important thing is the content, you know, that you're engaging. Um, and it is a brand. It's not like you're expecting people just to, you know, it's almost like you never want to um, just have people uh, get so involved in the, hey, buy this, do this. You know, it's it's not that. Yeah. It's really just, you're trying to just b- build a brand and you're not necessarily building necessarily a product as opposed to mm-hmm. things will come, you know, in time. And of course the goals for it to reach everyone. I think that's the big thing that you just got to, everyone's got to yeah. be honest, right? They got to be honest about it. Like, why are you doing this? Because you want to reach people. You want to build mm-hmm. an audience and, um, you know, cross your fingers and hope something happens. <laughs> right. So, so you don't currently have a podcast, uh, Stephen, but you do do these art talks on YouTube. After the show, is it is a podcasting something that you are, you know, more interested in pursuing and starting your own your own podcast show? You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the idea and the concept of it. And in my recent art talk, I actually asked people, I said, hey, I'm thinking mm. about doing a podcast. What do you guys think? And I got a lot of just responses where people, because I was doing the YouTube, that's actually got up that day and asked a question to Adam Carolla about why podcast over YouTube. And, um, you know, they sort of gave just the uh, realization that, you know, you you can, it's a a broader audience, so to speak. And there's a lot of Mm. great things to it. And I realized that. I can do both, you know, and, and what I was getting mm-hmm. feedback from all the people, people were saying, hey, you know what, I'm when I'm working, I like listening to you, but I really like watching you too. I'll glance over and it just makes that personal connection. But I'd love to listen to a podcast if I'm at the gym or I'm at here. So I realized yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll do both, you know, but I can kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. So I feel like I can, what I've learned is I can do my um, YouTube but the mm-hmm. audio, I can take that audio and then put it onto mm-hmm. the podcast. So why not? To me, right. it's like, why not? Right. So, I, yeah, I was going to ask if there's going to be a separation between your YouTube channel and the podcast, or is it just going to be, you know, taking that audio and turning it into a podcast? Or is there going to be a separation? No, there? you know, I'm, I'm feeling almost making it both. I just feel like maybe there's some people that um, I can reach more in the podcast world um, just mm-hmm. to open up the sort of gate just a, a little bit more than what's happening with the YouTube. And even with the YouTube, it's just like, you know, it, it's like I enjoy it. I, you know, I just love I, you know, it's so fun. And I, I know you guys with the same thing. It's just like, it's fun just to get on and say what you want to say and, and yeah. go what's on your mind. And it's like, I think that's why really everyone does a podcast and a YouTube channel for the most part. We're just trying to get something out there. And it's, um, if something, if it connects with people and it reaches people, if it makes an impact in some way, that's a good mm-hmm. thing, you know? So I, I think for my time's sake, I almost have to keep it you know, it's going to be the same because I think I, that would be a whole nother beast, you know, for, to all of a yeah. sudden, you know, so I don't know that I'm prepared yet. 
<laughs> so you're for the um, the YouTube channel that you do these Monday art talks. Um, like uh, when you're doing those uh, with that. So that's just going to be what the podcast will be. Like, do you ever do drawing and stuff on your podcast or is it primarily you talking to the audience? Yeah, um, it's pretty much just a lot of talking. Every now and again, I'll do a drawing video Uh aspect, but that's not what it's about. I just feel, you know, what I want to discuss is more about the the industry, things that I've personally gone through my journey. And if there's Mm -hmm. anything that I can you know, enlighten someone with, you know, on, on within their world. And, um, that, that's my hope, but yeah, it's not a, it's not a how to, it's not a tutorial. So it is more of a conversational piece. And that's why the podcast is well suited for it because I'm, Mm -hmm. I am just discussing, um, current things that are happening. Right. 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 Yeah. That's what I was wondering too, is if, if your YouTube, you are utilizing any sort of visual, you obviously you would lose that when you go to the podcast format, but if it's mostly you just talking with a message, then yeah, that totally translates over and makes sense. Um, so w- if you ever do do the podcast, would it continue to be just you speaking your message and giving uh, advice or would you ever consider doing like a guest sort of um podcast um i definitely consider that you know it's just Mm -hmm. more for me the technology side just making that and you know we're doing it right now and you guys have you know figured (laughs) it out and it seems to be working so it's probably uh you know definitely doable but i think right now i just start with that and just let it see what happens you know again i don't have any expectations and i think that's the thing just with me in general I don't have any, I've learned not to have any expectations about anything. It's just like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No big deal. I'm just, I'll yeah. just try anything. I'll do anything. But I, I wanted to ask you, you know, like what, what did mm-hmm. you, what did you get? Did you, was there something that you had a great takeaway from that Adam Carolla event? Because you're already in the podcast world. Did, did you? It, yeah. So one of the things that I really admired about Adam Carolla's, uh, his journey through podcasting is at the very beginning, he, he saw that this was something that he wanted to do and he was passionate about and he didn't know how he was going to make money off of it, but he knew that it was, there was something there. Right. So he took and invested a lot of money into getting into this project. So I think he said, he even gave the number out where he spent like, you know, $10,000, getting this studio set up so that it was a legit like radio station, but instead of broadcasting on the airwaves, it became downloadable content. So the biggest thing I got from it is if you want to do something, I mean, it doesn't even have to be podcasting. It's do it because you want to do it and you believe in it and you're passionate about it. And then, you know, if, if you are passionate about it and there is money to be made, you'll find a way to do that or make it successful. So, um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily relating to podcasting, but that was one of the biggest things that stood out for me, um, during that whole, the the whole day, I guess. But there, I mean, on top of that, there was a lot of little tidbits, um, and information, there was some technical stuff like they had Adam Carolla's sound guy come on and had talked about all of his equipment and how to save out files. Um, and I actually I don't think you can notice it in our episodes, but I think the file sizes are a little bit smaller for on my end. The quality's still there, but the sizes are smaller. And that was because of some of the tips that uh, 
Adam Sound Guy oh, gave nice. us. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. great. That guy had a great voice, didn't he? Yeah, I, he this. <laughs> he had a really cool look too. He had like a, a foot long beard and <laughs> the most deep voice I've ever heard. Um, but they, he's like brilliant with uh, sound engineering, and he, I think. Everything sounds so great because of the equipment they use and for the live event and then for the broadcast too. But um, yeah, it, it was, I definitely think it was a good um, experience for me going to the podcast. Yeah, I liked it. Right. That class. Yeah. yeah. What was uh, one of the biggest things that you took away from it? You know, I think, I think the biggest thing is just that the, uh it, it comes down to the passion, you know, it's just like yeah. how, how, whatever you believe in, you know, when you're getting, that's what people want to hear, you know, it's just like they, they know that you're into it, you you have a belief in what you're doing, you're just not doing it just to, I'm doing a podcast today and it's blah, 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 but you know, it's just like you really, you know, that that's the bottom line, it's like you can do whatever you want to do. Just make sure that you truly believe in it and you're excited about it and you love it. And yeah. that's it's going to then then the rest will sort of uh, figure its you know way out. But it was great. Sort of. I got some like you said, mentioned just on the technical aspect, just hearing about the microphones, hearing about the file sizes, little things like that where, you know, were pretty interesting um, to me. But it was again, it's a whole new world. Uh, for me and it's one of these things where like Adam he got in there early you know and there's a podcast there's a podcast that I just because of I've I've never used to listen to podcasts until I'm driving up with my wife's friend and she's telling me about the podcast she listened to and I didn't even know there was a podcast icon on my iPhone to listen to (laughs) podcasts so I'm just so oblivious and out of it and all of a sudden now I'm getting hooked on podcasts and I'm starting to discover things but for me, the podcasts I listen to are the the motivational ones, the inspirational ones. I want to hear content. You know, I, I love learning something new every day. And like ones I listen to, like I love Tony Robbins, you know, many of you guys mm-hmm. out there know who that guy is. But, you know, again, the guy's just passionate and is so, you know, into it. There's another guy named Gary V. Um, and he has this great, intense podcast. This guy is, 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 is wild and crazy, but... You know, like he was taught, I was listening to a podcast actually today where he was saying, you know, get involved in Snapchat. You know, like right now we're saying Snapchat, that's for like little kids. That's for a teenage, that's for my kids. I got a 13 year old and 15 year old, but it's all, you know, we, uh, five, six years ago, our people our age were saying this about Facebook. Who's on Facebook? Yeah. You know, why do you want to be right. on Facebook? Why, you know, why are you doing this? And it's like, you get on these things early. That way you don't miss out. And I think Adam got on so early before podcasting was podcasting. And that's mm-hmm. why he yeah. was already in the game and not coming late to the party. And to me, it's just like, so today I actually signed up for Snapchat and had my kids try to explain to me, what the hell is this and how does it work? But I think there was an important lesson, you know, in that. So it's really cool. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but I don't think people came here to hear me talk about podcasting. I didn't. So. (laughs) <laughs> we want to we want to utilize our guests and get into you know some really good knowledge from the art and design world and animation so um but before we switch gears here i just i have to say this um you know steven whether you know it or not you have a very distinct voice 
Um, and I have listened to a few of your art talks in the past. So I was familiar <laughs> with you and I you know, was kind of doodling off during the class and they had, but to, throughout the, the whole class, they had pe- opportunities for people to come up and ask questions. Um, and then this guy comes on with this heavy, thick accent and talking really passionately. I'm like, oh shit, I know that voice. And then <laughs> I think you said like, oh yeah, I'm Steven Silver. I'm like, oh fuck, I know that guy. And nice, then, nice. Um, yeah, so it was it was funny to hear your voice. And then during a break, you know, I went over and talked to you. We yeah. exchanged information and now here you are. Um, right. <laughs> I just had to get that story out there really quick before we switched gears. And um, on the then, accent, I'm going to guess Texas. There you go. There you go. <laughs> a lot of people actually think New York, you know. I mean, I've, I've lived here since I was 10 years old. I'm right. almost 45 now. So it's uh, – and people think I'm from New York or Boston or something. But again, those are people who aren't from New York or Boston who are right, from California right. thinking I'm from New York or Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what brought you to uh, the States? Uh, obviously, you were pretty young. So yeah, like yeah, I was thing? Yeah, 10 years old. Yeah, my parents um, mm-hmm. had wanted to. My mom's mom had moved out here to San Diego. Her brother had moved to San Diego. And at the time, they just thought, you know, in England, they thought that there, you know, I have there's five kids in my family. They thought we'd have, um, you know, really, it's like we're, we're coming as immigrants. It's the land of opportunity. And that's mm-hmm. what they instilled in us. They said, we're moving to America because we think we're gonna, you're going to have better opportunities if we move to America. And that's sort of like what brought us out here was for re- really that, that reason alone. You know? uh-huh. So growing up, you, you were 10 years there. What were some of the influences on you, like whether it be animation or just kids shows at the time that were uh, distinctly British that, that you looked at before you came here? And, and I mean, I know American animation is everywhere, but there must have been a few things. You know what? It really wasn't. There was no we had three, really? we had three channels on TV. We had like BBC one, BBC two and BBC three. And uh, there was uh, Hanna-Barbera, Hong Kong, really? Fui, you know, uh, <laughs> Um, Touche Turtle, uh, you know, uh, the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo. Mm. And that's what I sort of grew up on was really Hanna-Barbera uh, cartoons. You know, I'm Bugs Bunny and all that sort of stuff, Warner Brothers. Sure. Uh, but that yeah. was really it. That was my my influence uh, into really cartoons, you know, at that age. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch uh, Simon in the Land of Chalk Drawings? Do you remember that show? Oh, no, I don't. No. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was an import here. I was just wondering. Oh, okay. That. Anyway, so so at what point, at what age did you think that you were going to go into animation or that you thought of it as a, like, seriously as a career? You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I've upset I, I, people who may know of my story and heard it, but what mm-hmm. I've told people or what, what, what is out there, and again, new people uh, may be listening. It was kind of bizarre when I was... Um, Six years old, um, I, I was looking out my bedroom window and I found an artist. There was a book lying in my backyard and I went downstairs and it was an artist sketchbook. I don't know where it came wow. from. It had portraits, it had landscapes and it had all that. And I grabbed that and I picked it up and I started looking at all the artwork in it and I started copying it. And really at that age, six years old, is when I just started drawing. And, um, you know, my parents always sort of encouraged me, you know, oh, Stephen, the artist in the family, you know, and, and I got that. So I think I always just had this love and fascination for art. 
and drawing and um, it just it just stuck with me and then even and then I discovered at the age of 13 years old I was at my cousin's house and I discovered Norman Rockwell his parents had a big old thick Norman Rockwell book and I said who the hell and what the hell is this you know and I was blown away by that and um, and then just that pure desire just really started from that there was nothing ever I wanted to do no matter what anyone said you know thought that you should do go to school get educated be a lawyer be a doctor do so do something with your life it was always just art for me and then high school I drew for my high school newspaper and mm-hmm. it just kind of went on from there it was just always drawing all the time and it just sort of eventually yeah. led uh, to me into the animation you know there was no uh, other choice that's amazing I, I love that story because I'm not a religious person but seeing a, um, a sketchbook appear out of nowhere uh, that, that would <laughs> lead you that's amazing to, yeah that's a fantastic story you could uh, not make up a better <laughs> story than people that. wouldn't that believe it so yeah. good yeah kind <laughs> so of crazy I want to I want to ask about the book really cool. so it was an actual sketchbook it wasn't yeah. like a published no work no it was sketches. someone's sketch oh, it was wow. a sketchbook with binding and original so drawings they had they had an idea of what you were to become. That's but I, I will say a weird thing, you know, we used to, we, we, our house was burglarized about three different times. We were robbed, you know, it was just, again, you know, living in England and, and everything else. We had, we had police chasing criminals through our backyard. We had, mm. you know, it was just kind of uh, crazy, weird stuff. So I did a, did a, a burglar or someone who was robbing someone else's house come jump mm. over the fence and drop it. I was like, I don't know. I can't question it because I just don't know the real story of how it got there. But all I know that in my life, it was the catalyst. It was something that spawned something. And I can't, I'm never to this day going to be able to explain how and why. Again, I'm not a very, I'm not a religious person at all, but I'm very spiritual. And Mm -hmm. um, I I believe in reincarnation and all that. And I, I, I don't know what, what this meant, but all I know is it it formed the rest of my life. It made an impression, had yeah. such a great impact that it made the rest of my life. You know, it's it made right. me what I am on that one that one thing. Did you keep the book? I I did that I know of, but during the move and all that again, being ten years old and moving mm-hmm. from England to America, it's like yeah. grab your bare essentials. We can only take so much <laughs> with us. And uh, that was it, you know, where jump it on the plane and that's it, you know. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's an amazing story. But well, so we'll jump ahead a little then. So what was your first <laughs> uh, job in, in the animation industry? Uh, my first job was working at Warner Brothers on a show called Hysteria. Uh, mm-hmm. That was back in 1997, and that's where I, uh, like any animation studio that if anyone's interested in trying to get a job, you have to take a test, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I had to do. I met someone. I've always, I'm always a huge believer and proponent of put yourself out there. This was before pre-internet, too, so mm-hmm. when you want to go meet people, you went and met people. There was a lot more face-to-face interaction, so I would join different cartooning organizations in San Diego. And through that, I met an artist that worked on a show called Freakazoid um, mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I got in contact with him and he invited me up to the studio and I showed him my work and he took my portfolio upstairs. And from there, um, they they liked what they saw. They gave me a test and then the rest sort of was history. From there, I kind of got, that's how I got in the door 
was again just I think it's preparation. It's you always being prepared. That was part of my Boy Scout thing too. I became an Eagle Scout in life. <laughs> I was always in the Boy Scouts and active. Oh, wow, but the wow. number one thing in Boy Scouts was be prepared, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. That, that's what it comes down to. So any anything I went to, I was always prepared. I had my sketchbook. I had business cards. I had my portfolio. I didn't know who I was going to meet, when I would meet them, but I was always ready to take action. Yeah. I think that's a, a really good point that people aren't um, really engaging and ready for that one-on-one -on -one interaction. I think now a lot of people rely so heavily on the internet and social media. You know, they think that if they just post stuff, they're going to get found or discovered right. this way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that might be true. But if you ever can make that connection, whether it's at, you know, a networking event, uh, an expo or convention, any way you can get your foot in the door, um, I think that one-on-one -on -one interaction and connection is much stronger than just seeing a, a collected bunch of sketches online. Um, because like you said, it's that you have a connection there and it's it's easy. It's you're forgettable online because yeah. it's just an image. And then once you have that person with the work, it's you form a bond there. Without a doubt. Um, it's a, it's the yeah. thing that we've sort of stepped away from this face to face aspect, which is so vital, which people have sort of forgotten about, you know, and it's yeah. still a huge viable thing. And I think the more people do it and don't just conform and do what everyone else is doing and well, other people are doing it this way. So I'm just going to do it that way. And so all of a sudden, no, you be the guy that all of a sudden shows your face and shakes that hand mm -hmm. and meets them and makes the contact. Now you've made an impression and that's something mm -hmm. that even more in today's market is so viable and just impressive. Wow. You made that, you made the effort to come, you know, it's almost, it's almost like what, you know, you did when you came up to, I was sitting there at the Adam Carolla event and you made the <laughs> effort to come up and introduce yourself. I wouldn't have gone to you because I, I you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with you. I don't know you. Right. But you, you, you could have sat there and said, oh, wow, that's cool. He's here and never made that. But by doing that, yeah. look what happens. And that's the thing that I think people forget is that you just need to speak up. You need to say something. You need to do something. And that's how things happen, you know, in life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, luckily, you uh, you were a nice guy and not a total <laughs> jerk when I came up to you. So it, it ended up working out. <laughs> so but, on, uh, you're, you have this first job on Hysteria. What are you doing uh, at this first job? Are you actually animating? Are you in-betweening? Are you, are you doing character design? Oh, yeah, so it's all character design based. It's all um, pre-production. So all the studios, unless it's a feature animation studio, are set up to do pre-production. So what we're doing are the storyboards, character designs, layout props, you know, just writing, and then all the animation um, is done overseas. That's usually right. done where it could be done in Korea and in China and in India. Um, so my first job was hired as a character designer, um, which is basically you're getting a script a breakdown and you're given all the characters that need to be designed. And that's my job to sort of bring those characters, give them their look, their personality. Mm -hmm. That's that's a pretty amazing first job in animation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah. as a character designer. Absolutely, uh, yeah. It was it was wild. It was wild. And so then, and I don't mean to rush to get to Kim Possible, but I'm but I'm kind of <laughs> rushing to get to Kim Possible. So is that next? Is that next for you? Uh, no. So off to Kim Possible, and this is again where connections. This is the the this this the most important. 
factor of everything is connecting with other mm-hmm. people. And by, by working in the studio and making friends and connecting with friends, you hear things. And all of a sudden I had a friend that was there and said, hey, I heard Disney, they're looking for a character designer for Kevin Smith project which was clerks mm-hmm. the animated series um, right. which is based off his live action movies um, they yeah. said they're looking for a character designer and i know someone at disney hey you should submit your portfolio so i put together my portfolio um i gave it to my friend who gave it to his friend who gave it to the director the director saw it and then i got a call back they wanted to meet me and i came and met with them and then that's how i got my job got hired at disney to develop and design the Clerks animated series. And then I was there. And while I was there, what ends up happening is, you know, it's a, it's a nomadic life, this animation industry, right? You mm-hmm. kind of go from one studio to the next. There's no, not unless you're on The Simpsons, you know, and you're there for 30 years or something. But the, <laughs> yeah. the reality is you're bouncing around um, like a pinball. And uh, mm-hmm. you go for, and so what happened was I was working on uh, Clerks. That show ended, it got canceled. And then they moved me onto a show called uh, Weekenders. Um, which was the second season was another Disney property. And I was on that. And then the director I worked with on Clerks, he ended up, uh, you know, we became friends and stayed in contact. And he said, hey, I'm I'm directing this new show called Kim Possible. Do you want to take a stab at, we're trying to find a designer. Do you want to take a stab at drawing the design, see what you come up with? I said, yeah, yeah, please. And just get me off of this weekender show. Um, <laughs> so I was uh, started to just work. They were paying me sort of like a freelance rate, just uh, working on mm-hmm. trying to come up with ideas. And they liked what I was doing. And then they pulled me off of weekenders and brought me on to Kim Possible as the lead designer uh, to develop the style uh, full time. And that's how I got my uh, chance to do that. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that process then, because uh, I think everyone knows what character design is, but not always how it is at a big studio like that and, and developing something from scratch as opposed to an existing property. Like, like what was it for you? Like when you first came on, how solid was the idea and how much did you get to sort of form the entire look of that show, which is pretty, uh, it's almost unusually cohesive uh, for an animated uh, show of that type. Yeah, you know, you're always, um, it's always a collaborative effort. I mean, the reality is that Kim Possible, the show, the written script, the guys, Mark and Bob, who created the show, it was just mm-hmm. solid. You know, it's just like, this is why Disney optioned it. Basically, it wasn't mm-hmm. a done deal yet. They optioned the show. So this what the studios do, if they like an idea, they're going to option it. And that, they'll, and that may be about six months up to a year of just like, we like this, let's develop it and let's see what happens. Um, and that's what we were doing. So as I came on, um, now what I'm doing is just sort of like drawing. I'm given the descriptions. I'm given the character breakdown. Kim Possible, she's 16, cheerleader, athletic, saves the world, all this. So in the beginning, I'm doing my designs. And then, you know, you're getting a lot of notes back and forth. She needs to be mm-hmm. more athletic. Let's make her hair longer. Let's make her more, let's slim her down a bit. So may, maybe some of my drawings were a little bit more, she wasn't as athletic looking. So you're working very close with the director um, mm-hmm. and the art director, working with those guys and seeing what the art director's vision is on the, the background style. So the background style that we was initially um, brought up. Um, so Alan Bodner, who was the art director, and mm-hmm. he was uh, the art director on Iron Giant, you know, a great mm-hmm. movie. And um, he came and thought, you know, be awesome to sort of have the 
sort of feel of the old Disneyland posters. If you guys remember those, <laughs> even if you looked them up, they're very stylistic yeah. and they're very simple mm -hmm. in that nature. So knowing that that was going to be the possible background as a character designer, I got to start thinking about how can I design characters that are also fitting into that world. But also my, my sensibility of design was very... Um, uh, I, I was a huge fan of a caricature. That was my real background was doing caricatures and Al Hirschfeld, mm -hmm. um, a right. caricature artist. So he was really the huge inspiration for me to really try to find that style and find that look. And that's what you're doing. You're exploring and trying to find what would work, what would look good, what's simple. And so bringing in my that influence that I had from my heroes, Al Hirschfeld and guys like that, I'm trying to bring that in. How can I bring these, design these characters and have that sort of flair and feel into it? And then again, working with the director, the art director, getting notes from the executives. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big thing, but it was great because they sort of just let me, I just got to create, you know, and I really found my voice, you know, on, on right, that show. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is an amazing show. I wonder if you could talk at all, like what were some of the, like I look at these characters and they're very sort of they're they're so uh, well designed characters and they're they're mm -hmm. more graphic than say a traditional animated show. Like, did that right. pose some problems when you went to like for the animators or anything, or when you're doing the turns of these characters? No, I think it made it actually easier. You know, because mm -hmm. you got to think about you know there were times remember GI Joe and all those mm -hmm. Man and all those shows and they were so intense and so uh pencil heavy so to speak there was so much right, detail right. you know with, with all those where doing this going this route may i think made it easier um for people just trying to simplify the line and not we don't need so many lines in the drawings we can really we can lose these and these are the sort of things that we're having in the design meetings like you know we can simplify this a bit we don't need to show all the shoelaces and we don't need it you know that's the my biggest pet peeve sometimes working on because i still do a lot of development for people all the time but oftentimes mm -hmm. it's always we love what you did on kim possible we love what you did on uh, danny phantom we love it but we don't want that you know, it's just like, let's, <laughs> and then, you know, and then they, you know, and these, some of these shows and they get so intense with the, every little shoelace and every little buckle and everything. I'm all, do you know what a nightmare you're causing <laughs> for everyone when you go, you don't need to do that. Um, and we, mm -hmm. I think we really found a way just to, to, but we were doing that on clerks too, is uh -huh. that, and that, you know, really simplifying things. And that's why there definitely is when you look at clerks and you look at Kim Possible and even when you look at Danny Phantom, there's that still always carrying through that that simplicity, which I like, you know, and that's oh, where mm. I, I came to love that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like it's uh, what I like about it, too, is it translates really well to toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah those those sure. clerks toys were, were amazing. Yeah. Those um, were so great. how like uh, Kim Possible was a, was a big success. It kind of really sort of set the tone for what was going to come from Disney and sort of lightening up on what they've normally done. It was really different at the time. I think sometimes people forget that. How how was it for you going through this development process and then seeing the success of the show and seeing it take off? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it was so um, rewarding. You know, when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it and you're dealing with all the production deadlines and everything else, you just don't, you don't really think about the outcome of what something's mm -hmm. going to be. And, um, 
and just when when it did come out and um, it had the success, it, I mean, it was extremely exciting. You know, I, I think for me just to just to be a part of that process, it was just um, I just remember it just being. You know, it was a good, it was a great time. It was a great time in the industry. You know, we're talking. I don't know how many years ago was that. Now I think uh, maybe. 12, 13 years ago, maybe yeah, 14. They just had an anniversary. Yeah, I think, so. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And it was just great just to see, um, just w- what sort of like what it sparked. I think just people really resonated mm-hmm. with it and the stylization of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, so many other shows that came afterwards had that clear influence from it. And it was just, yeah, it was just, it was just very cool to just be a part of that process. And what I love more than anything today and where I know, you know, it's like we think about the shows of our childhood. Like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, what stuck with me was the Hanna-Barbera show, Scooby-Doo, mm-hmm. the Flintstones, Hong Kong. That was my childhood. And Tom and Jerry. I will never forget those till the day I die. And I right. have people coming up to me at conventions all the time and saying, you were my childhood. <laughs> and that to me is just like, wow, I feel very old. But, you know, <laughs> this is, that's so cool. You know, I mean, I, there's yeah. nothing more rewarding than that. Like, that's not going to ever leave. No matter what shows come on the air, no matter what happens mm-hmm. in the industry, people are not going to forget the cartoons they watched when they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, it's just that's not right. leaving the psyche. Right. Yeah. So you, uh, it's, I mean, a lot of your career in the animation, it sounds like primarily was on uh, character development, character design. Yeah. Is that something when you first started that like was the end goal and you just started there or is it, um, was there another role within the animation world that you were, uh, going after? You know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. You know, I mean, all that I've ever done is just wanted, had the passion and desire to draw. That's all I ever mm-hmm. wanted to do. I just want to make, I wanted to make a living, to be able to support my family, uh, just drawing. And that was it. And that's all it's still ever been. I just want to draw. I just, I don't want to work at <laughs> wear a suit or a tie. I don't want to, you know, do anything but, but that. And I think, um, so my goal has always been just to, I, like, I never thought I'd be in this field. This field, it was a, it, I went off the track, you know, I thought I was going to oh, be a caricature artist the rest of my life and draw caricatures <laughs> for magazines. I was trying to open up concessions for caricatures at that time. I was hiring other artists, um, training mm. them how to do caricatures. That was my life plan, you know, when I was mm. 18, 19, 20 years old was to have caricature operations and theme parks. And that's where I was going. And I got sidetracked into this animation industry and I've gone on that path. And now, um, you know, what I really discovered during this journey is teaching, you know, for me. So now what it's become for me is I've, I've done so much training. I've had so much knowledge. I've had so much experience. I've tried everything and anything, you name it. I've done it. I've tried it. And what I, what I land on all the time is I love right now. I'm just, and it's been this for years, 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 so passionate about teaching. I love, I love that more than anything else in the world. And that's when I discovered my purpose. And this was about probably about 12 years ago, actually, even when I was on Kim Possible and all that, my purpose in life is to teach. And that's everything that I do 
is going towards that and has been teaching. And that's where I find my true happiness, my true joy um, is, is the teaching. So for me, if I just be, do, be a teacher the rest of my life and I can support, again, support my family, I'm not looking to be a millionaire. I'm not looking to do, I'm just looking to enjoy the journey, learn new things mm-hmm. and teach. And if that's what it takes me all the way through, hopefully till a hundred years old, uh, that's when I'll <laughs> put my claim on a hundred. That's it. You know, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So, so, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Jared. Okay. So I've, I've, I've watched a few of your, uh, your Monday art talks, not, not all of them. There's quite a few and you're very passionate about, about what you're doing. Um, and there was one recently where you weren't cranky. You're, you're never cranky. <laughs> your, your energy is always positive. You're always very positive. But it was, uh, I think you were talking about Will Eisner and some of the um, the advice that he was given in, in a publication or an article. And, uh, you know, it was very much uh, to, to do the work, basically, right? Do the work. Um, is that something that you're finding common as you're, as you're sort of talking to this new generation of artists that are coming up? Is that a common theme that you see as a, as an issue? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think people unfortunately are feeling that because of the internet and if we, you know, all these platforms are being created for us. And we think that if we can just put content out there, that that's, we're going to be seen and something's going to happen or there's this mentality of just instant gratification, you know, now mm-hmm. where again, you know, and I know you guys, you know, we, we grew up in a different generation, you know, where now everything just has to be this instantaneous. It's got to be quick and it's got to be easy and things have to be taken care of for us. And if it's not, um, you know, and, and this is where I'm just really uh, re- trying to, I think, infuse into people that. Listen, I don't care what mm-hmm. it is. You got, you just got to bust your ass. You, you, yeah, you got to do the work. You got to work hard. Nothing yeah. is going to be easy for you. Nothing's going to be given to you. You know, maybe things will get easier the more effort you put into it and people will start to see what you have to offer and they'll come and approach you and that'll mm-hmm. get easier. But I, I just feel like, yeah, unfortunately we're living in a generation now where it's just too much of this instant gratification and, um, and, and people are missing that mark. Um, and, and I think the people who are really cranking and are working hard and putting in the time and, and investing in themselves, you know, um, is, is going to be where the payoff is and not, and it's almost like what Adam Carolla said, and I'll bring that back, which is very, I, I sort of truly believe this, but he, you know, he said it, I've heard other people say it. But it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And he kept mm-hmm. repeating that. It's a marathon, mm-hmm. guys. It's a marathon. And that's the reality of this. It's not the sprint. It's the marathon. Stop trying to get these quick results all the time and invest. And it's just like the stock market or anything else. You invest. It's long term. It's what Warren mm-hmm. Buffett did and knows. It's compound interest. It's all these many years, but don't. And I think right now we're just too, we got to have it now. Oh, didn't happen quick enough. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to give up. Right. You know, I, I spent two weeks on it and I didn't get the result. That's it. Moving on to something else instead of no, 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 no. Carry this through. Keep going. Keep going. You know, eventually you're going to realize if you're completely off the mark and you got to change something. But I think uh, for me, that's what I try to infuse and let people know based on my experiences, based on what I hear from friends in the industry, Mm -hmm. other people. Listen, 
it's it's the long haul. It's the long haul, and I think be open to that, be prepared for it, and um, you know, just uh, enjoy enjoy the journey. You know, what it comes down to. Yeah, I I, I have noticed uh, um, with younger artists at least that they kind of want to jump right to a style, um, and and some, certainly looking at somebody like you, where where the style is so strong, uh, you must get a lot of people who come to you with either this sort of half baked style or something they've developed over the years, uh, and I still sort of get eye rolls when I say you know life drawing is is like the basics, like you you have to you should always do that you should always be doing life drawing. Do you see that as a challenge with with some of the younger artists that that they're kind of bypassing that part and jumping right to uh, personal style? Yeah, absolutely. And that personal style, crazily enough, is what it, it comes down to. Like, people are just what I feel is being mimicked to beyond right now is Milk Call and uh, <laughs> Mary Blair. You know, the, mm-hmm. these two are these olds. And people are, j- again, it just comes down to people want the finished product. They're just trying to get there as quickly as possible. Yep. So they're missing the foundation. And that that's the mm-hmm. thing. It's just we got to just get there do this style and not really think about the the construction like what's going on even though that style is so simple and you may even look at Kim Possible and think yeah it's simple I'm just going to try to copy mm-hmm. that or do that but underneath there is hours and hours and hours of me practicing portraits and drawing mm-hmm. portraits and understanding how to draw a real portrait and observation and I think what's missing is the observational aspect where people aren't investing enough right, in, in the figure drawing, in the observational going and doing the sketchbook drawing and not really feeling like there's a benefit, you know, to it. Um, and, and there really is. And I think when you kind of, again, comes down to the fundamentals, uh, it's like, well, you know, what, what I teach right now to my students, I, I tell them, listen, don't, I'm not going to teach, don't, you know, I've had some students go, I just teach me how to design. I just, I just want to <laughs> learn the design. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put the cart before the horse. I'm not going to just, I'm not just going to jump into the design. We got to jump back. Let's start from the beginning just a little bit here. Let's find the foundation. Let's find the construction. Let's find out what's really going on in the human face, in the human body. And once we understand that, then we can start to simplify. It's the same thing Picasso did. He didn't, did the exact same thing. He sort of, he was a brilliant, brilliant draftsman. Until he started to just weed lines away and realize, I don't need those lines. You start to shave them off and realize, I don't need all that information. I still get the message, but you have to have that foundation first. And that's, I feel like people are missing the mark a lot today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do a lot of, uh, I mean, you do a lot of different things that uh, sort of get your message out there. You do the Monday talks, you do, you have an app that has uh, instruction on it and samples of your work and things that give you a challenge on a daily basis for, for character things. Um, but you also do these things where people come into your studio or where you're dealing with these students one-on-one. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that and sort of, I mean, not that you have to sell it, but sort of sell it for us and tell us like, <laughs> what are the benefits of doing that with you personally, which I think is an amazing opportunity as opposed to just watching the videos or, or looking at. Right. I, I think the biggest problem is when people are just watching videos, oftentimes all the, all the free content, the YouTubes, all this, there's no accountability. You're just mm-hmm. watching this, but you're not held accountable for anything. You're not being judged to the point where you got someone 
looking over you and really giving you that critique and that criticism to the point of, you know, helpful, constructive, like, listen, mm-hmm. this is what's the problem with what you're trying to do here. And um, I think by having a live, and this is my feeling always about face-to-face, like I teach online through schoolism and I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, that, but there's still, to me, I always prefer the live because you're right there and things become just, I can say what I'm feeling and thinking right at that moment. And what it is, is right now, all I do is take five students at a time and I make it just a lot more, it's a lot more personable. I used to teach where I'd have 40 students in the class and it was way too much and I couldn't give the people the time that they needed. And so now I I feel the true benefit is when you got five students you're working with them one-on-one. You're war- I'm walking around. I'm drilling them. I'm making them accountable. I'm giving them, you know, the stuff and telling them. I'm not going to tell them, hey, that's great. That's wonderful. That's awesome. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to give you that, that if it's not there. I'm going to tell you, listen, there's a serious problem with this. You know, and what I find, which is always <laughs> funny, students, and I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but they tend to want to cover up their artwork. They get, when I go to draw over their stuff, they hold their pencil there, right on the drawer, <laughs> and they don't move their hand. And it's just like, move your freaking hand, and I am going to draw over this, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to make it better for you right now in front of your face, you know, right, and you right. are not going to, you know, but they're, again, this is the insecurity where you don't have to deal with that when you're looking at stuff online. You know, you get to just kind of do your own thing and maybe do what the person's telling you online. But I think accountability is the is the most important yeah. thing that you get from doing a face-to-face. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing that or offering that service? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been teaching live for a long time, but um, I actually had a bigger school at one point. I started very small. Um, I used to mm-hmm. just teach about six students um, out of a, a studio that I had at my house. And I stopped doing that because I thought I wanted to get bigger. I thought, hey, I'm going to make this. I want to, I'm ready to go bigger. And then I went bigger and I opened up this 4,500 square foot warehouse out near Burbank and made this big school. And it became, I thought that's what I wanted. And I realized after about a year or so, and I was doing it for two years because my lease, it's not what I wanted. I realized I don't want big. I want small again. I want intimate. And it was growing, getting to the point where it, it was becoming a, a, a beast and a burden. And it was requiring a lot of my time. And it was growing to the point where it was thriving. But I had to make that decision. I was, my kids were telling me, dad, you're always gone. And that's not what I wanted. And I realized yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go small again. Um, and that's so that's what I'm doing now. And it's, it's, it fits my lifestyle. It's what I want. And I know that students benefit a lot greater from it. So I've been doing it a long time. It's sort of hard to say how many years I've been teaching. I was teaching at Cal Arts at one point, And that was um, way too much of a, too many students in the class. Um, a whole different sort of beast in that sense. And I realized yeah. that, um, again, the benefit of just teaching. And you know what's beautiful about it, and what I love about doing it myself, there's no degree, there's no diploma, there's no certificate. That's not why you come. You know, you're coming because you're passionate. You want to learn and you want to get drilled and you want to (laughs) get beaten. And that's why you come. You know, I got a student right now who's flying, who came from New Jersey. And she's come out from New Jersey and she's here for the next eight weeks. I had another student that was coming out every week flying from Toronto to the class and flew back home every week. I have students coming from Sweden, from Italy, from Brazil, 
from all over that are making that commitment and saying, I want, I want to do this. And that, and that, those are the students I love because their parents aren't forcing them to do it. They're not doing it because they have to do it. Like at Cal Arts, even when I was teaching, like some students wanted it. They want to do care. Other students, this is part of what you have to do. You got to take the character design class. I want to <laughs> teach people who, who are there, who are just, they don't give a rat's ass about the, again, they're, they're not looking for a certificate. They just right. want to mm-hmm. get some real truth and they want to learn. And that, those are the students I love who are, they're making the eye contact and I can see it in their eyes. They're not just passing through this because it's a free thing that you find on right. the internet. They're there because, you know, they're paying a little bit more money, but they're, they're getting their value and they see that. And I think that's what's, I think um, the, the importance whenever anyone does anything to you're doing it because you're in it, man. You want it. You're serious about it. I don't care if you want to learn how to bake cupcakes. You're going to go and find that guy that teaches you. It's the same reason, you know, we went to Adam Carolla's thing. You know, we showed up because we made that effort and we paid our money and we went there because we realized there's a benefit to this. And, and look at the connection that we even just made right here, (laughs) that here we are because of that. And this is what this is what it's all about, you know. This is what I love about that. Be in there, be there is is the important message. So when you do these smaller sessions with with five students, uh, do you have a curriculum beforehand, or do you kind of see what they want to learn or where they need to learn stuff when when you meet these people? Yeah, well, I take yeah, I take applications. So they go through my website and they they fill out the application. I kind of want to put all the people that are like minded together in the same sort of style. I don't want to group people mm-hmm. that are way too advanced or they're not quite there. So they're all of the like, say, so sort of like-minded um, uh, place within their art mm-hmm. style. And and that's all it is mm-hmm. for me. I just want to make sure that they're there. But I have a curriculum. It's an eight-week course and I have my curriculum, but it always, it changes as I start to during the class and I'm seeing their level and seeing what they're doing. I'm always adding, pulling things away where as opposed to say online, it's that definite structure and it's one size fits all right. type of thing where right, when you're right. doing live, you get to sort of really see like, hey, you know what? I'm going to push you a little bit more because you need that. You, I need you to not do this. I need you, to, I need to pull you back a bit. You you still got to mm-hmm. get through this lesson first. It's the same thing that happens, unfortunately, in the academic school system, my kids in school, and I see what happens where... They're just trying to meet the, the state's needs of what they have to do. And they're, they're kids, they're moving them on to chapter two and they haven't even learned chapter one. So kids right. start to fall behind. So by me being in the class, I can start to see, whoa, 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 you're falling behind a bit. I need to, I'm, we're not moving on to chapter two necessarily for you. I got uh, we got to work on this just a little bit more. Again, another benefit to the life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's it's safe to say you are quite passionate about teaching and sharing <laughs> your knowledge with others. Um, but you know, bef- I okay. Take it easy, you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> I, I'm getting this excitement and passion is yeah. just it's coming through through the computer here. Um, but you definitely have a lot to say, and I think we're gonna have to have you back on at some point because. <laughs> 
there, I want to cover this Kickstarter you have, but I feel like we could talk more about your time in the animation world, about um, your teaching. Um, but before we run out of time, I do want to switch gears here and talk about this Kickstarter book that you have recently, uh, it's been successfully funded. So for those of you not familiar, we'll have links to this in the show notes so you can go back and watch the video and check out um, his book. But Successfully from, funded is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, you, yeah, you had a number in mind and you pretty much just trampled that asking number. <laughs> but um, before we get into that, it, it seems like this is an extension of um, your teaching. So this is another opportunity to reach more people and to teach them some of the stuff you've learned because a lot of art books that we see out in the market, it's especially when it's coming from a single artist, it's more of like, this is my collected works. Um, like check out all this cool stuff I've done through the years. You took a very different approach and it's almost like a textbook yeah. is uh, what you produced here. So um, why don't you give us just the quick rundown of how this book, the idea came to you and why it was so important for you to go to Kickstarter to try and get this funded. Yeah, you know, again, yeah, it comes down into the teaching thing where I realized that what I, again, the t the teaching, that's my purpose. And I realized that I, yeah. I did want to put together, you know, something. I've been gathering so many notes. What I realized was as I'm teaching people and training people, I, you know, there's one thing just to draw and one thing how to explain what it is you're drawing. And for me to, when I'm going over people's designs and I'm trying to go, gosh, how can I explain this to you that you're going to be able to understand what I'm trying to say and make it understandable? So as I'm doing that and I'm drawing over people's thing and I'm explaining, at the end I go, oh man, that was a great way to explain that. And I'd always make these little notes on the side. Mm -hmm. So I ended up building just a pile of all these notes from all my conversations of explaining to people that would end up telling me, oh, thanks, man, that made sense. And I said... This is awesome. And so I had all these, so many notes, piles and piles and folders and folders. And the dream was at one point to always do a how-to book. I'd never done a how-to book. Yeah. And so that was always something on my bucket list that I wanted to do. And so the time just sort of came. For whatever reason, my 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 mind, those whispers were coming that kept going in my brain, just saying the time is now, the time is now. And that's when I decided I approached um, Design Studio Press, which is a, a, a very large um, and a great um, publisher who, who puts together really how-to books and all that. But I also mm -hmm. knew I can't stand books that are so wordy, that are just like just, again, they're just like so, so written and not necessarily showing you. And I always knew because academically, I struggled all through my life and academically. I was a horrible student and this is why art was the only thing I could do. I wasn't going to be anything else. I, my, my art, I, I have a twin brother and I copied off him all through high school, cheated off him. Luckily, we were all in the same classes. And so I made it through high school just cheating off my twin brother. Um, and uh, so for me, academically, I knew that, well... This is, I want to make a book that I would benefit from. And, and that's where this idea came from to make it more like a textbook, make it mm -hmm. give people exercises, give people the foundation, 
give give that as a resource. And I was always such a huge fan of Preston Blair's book, uh, Cartoon Animation. If you guys ever saw that, it was we had the elephant on front. Beautiful mm-hmm. book, but on animation. I thought I want to do one that's just like that, but for character design. And uh, make it for all ages, whether you're 12 years old all the way up to 100 years old, that you can benefit from this. And that's when I approached Design Studio Press. I put together a little kit. Again, this is about to getting out there, not being afraid of the no, not being afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been rege- I was rejected by publishers already in the past, so hey, it's their loss. But these guys said yes. And I and and for them to say yes, I'm great. And um, and I decided through that, okay, what do I need to do? I'm gonna have to. I want to bring awareness about it. I need to raise funds for it because I need to. Um, the way Design Studio Press works is you kind of have ownership in the book, but you gotta pay for your sh- your production costs um, mm-hmm. on that. And it's a great op- thing that they offer. And I thought I'm gonna do that. So I thought, what better way than to do it through Kickstarter? Mm-hmm. Just to let people know that it's coming um, and do that. And again, like, like you guys mentioned, I just had great support. Like people just got behind this and thought, wow, this looks cool. And I explained about it. I put a video behind it. I showed images, what it's going to be. And the industry just reacted, you know. And it, But, say, you know, in my mind, this was my belief. I believed this was going to happen, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same that I've done with everything. Everything I do... Even when I did my apps and I did my pose book app uh, initially through um, as I did an app and I always put these things in front of me, uh, post-it notes all over and and notes in front of my computer and I write it down there. This is going to be the best app ever. This is going to be the greatest (laughs) art book ever, you know, and it's just like the belief like I'm doing this. I'm not, I'm going full forward. I don't care <laughs> if people get behind it or not. I'm hoping they do. But again, I'm not expect, I'm not relying on the outcome. I don't, I've never done, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to see what happens. And that's what happened with the Kickstarter. And I tried it and it gangbusters and it was awesome. <laughs> it worked out awesome. And, but I believed in it. Again, it's like, again, right. it's that the passion came through in the book and that's why people are reacting. If anyone looks at the reviews on my website that I have or even Amazon, just people, what people are writing is exactly in my mind what I wanted to have happen. I wanted people to say, awesome. this book is just, this, this is four years of art school in one book. You know, this is, and this is what it is. And this is, God, this gave me so much insight and so it was so easy to follow it was so easy to read it was so this and that exactly what i wanted and that's what my mm-hmm. message that i kind of really want to say to everyone out there is just believe in it believe in what you're doing don't have expect the results don't worry whether it's going to succeed don't worry whether it's going to fail you're doing everything you do because you want to do it for the pure joy of it and when you do that and even in this podcast room, like what you guys are doing, I, you know, what you guys, are, I can see that in you guys. When you guys are doing this, there's, you guys are happy about this. There's, there's, a, there's a joy. It's a fun, you know, it's like, it's an outlet. It's something different. And I think that's what we all want. We just kind of, we got to keep doing fun things, right? We got to, we, we can't just have our regular mundane jobs. Even if it's in animation, it becomes mundane. And you're just doing that. You have to do something on the side 
that you want to do. And when you do that, that's going to fill up your bucket a bit and it's going to get you excited. You don't know what's going to come of it. You don't know who's going to hear it, who's going to see it, who's going to write about it. You don't know. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. It's like Nike did it, said it best. That's why they're so successful. <laughs> just do it. That's all they had, you know, and that's what we do. <laughs> we just do it. So your energy is 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 amazing. And it's it's a huge part of your appeal, obviously, and, and the popularity of, of not only your books, which is all about the, the artwork and the drawing, but but as sort of a personality as well. Did you get to a point where like these are a culmination of lessons learned? Have you always sort of been this way or, or was there like a key point where you decided to sort of be this way going forward? Um, you know, I was kind of, again, it's always hard for me to explain and I don't know how to really define it other than again, I, I mentioned earlier reincarnation. Now I'm not going to mm-hmm. get all into this crazy thing, here, but <laughs> I, the, 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 and here's my point behind reincarnation. I feel like we learn every time in our life, however many years we live in this world, it's an experience and we're learning new things and we're always picking up on things. And that becomes part of our journey and our story at the end of the day. What did you learn? What did you what do you have regrets on? What don't you have regrets on? What, what messages did you pick up? And, I, you know, it's like what makes someone – the thing I can't explain is what makes someone want to get up and um, just start, you know, running. I see them running, you know, and cycling in my neighborhood and there, there's mountains in my neighborhood and these people are riding bikes and they're on their 10 speeds or mountain bikes and like – I have no desire to do that. But these guys have their helmets and they got their biker shorts and these guys are gun ho and they got all the equipment and their, their cleats and their shoes. Why, why are they so intrigued with that? Why is that person so intrigued with this? And it's like, so with my art, why am I, why is someone drawn to doing painting landscapes? I have no desire to paint landscapes. I don't want to paint landscapes, but why did someone experience that in a maybe another life and maybe they they want to just do it again and they, they just it's an infusion so for me i feel like i've learned so many lessons maybe in these other lives that for whatever reason it's very easy for me it's like i flip through a book and i love philosophy and i love these things and i look at a book and i go god i feel like that's very familiar to me and I don't know why. And I, and I write down and I, and I have all these journals of writings that I have and of, of just the, my mind. And I go, what, why is it so natural for me? Did I learn it once before? And I think that, so that's what I attribute maybe a lot of it to why it's just sort of like happening and why I react to things like this. Um, <laughs> but I can't explain it any other way other than just it's, I went traveling around the world when I was about 24 years old, backpacking with my older brother for eight months. And I got to see how other people live. And I realized at the end of the day, you know, living in this Western world, what we have as opposed to, I mean, I was in a lot of third world countries going to, you know, even just Calcutta and India and all these places where just extreme poverty. But at the end of the day, what I came out of my eight months of traveling, I looked at all these people who had nothing. And that was my biggest fear in life was having nothing. What I, at one point, when 18, 19, 20, God, what if I don't make it as an artist? What if I have nothing? What if I am broke? And there was this fear. And I traveled and I saw how all these other people live. And at the end of the day, I came out of that experience going, these people, they have nothing. But so many of them are so content and so happy. And that's what I got. How can they be so happy and have nothing? 
And so I came back from that experience and realized that no longer was a fear for me anymore. And that made me realize that I can try and do anything because I'm not afraid of having nothing anymore. Because I know that I have enough friends, I have enough family, enough people in my life and community that I'll never be broke on this corner of the street waving a, rattling a can trying to get some, you know, money. Uh, but anyway... I went off on a thing there. But anyway, so for me, I I, yeah, I don't know why it is what it is, but I think this is part of my uh, reason for wanting to teach so much now and do all the things that I'm doing. I think why I'm, I feel like I've let these lessons are, it's so easy for me and I've, I've, I've experienced them before some weird way somehow. <laughs> so then, uh, Mark, I was going to, did you have another question? Because I was going to kind of do a wrap up question here, actually, but did you have oh, something yeah, else? Oh, yeah, no, no. Um, I have a wrap up too. So you go first. Okay. So I was just kind of wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of what's next for you. Like you've, you've done these books. Is it, is it more books? Is it, is it just continuing to teach, which sounds like that's inevitable. Uh, but what's sort of uh, on the horizon for you? Yeah, for me, uh, I've always been sort of, um, I am sort of live my life where sort of going where the wind takes me. Um, I'm just kind of going with what I'm sort of feeling and doing. So there is no, real answer to that. I just know that I'm on this experience and this journey as Steven Silver doing the things that I'm doing. And again, the teaching is a huge um, thing for that. So um, ideally what I want to do, what I'm trying to build up more and more, what I want to do is I love doing workshops. I love, mm -hmm. I love doing workshops and I want to go all around the world through, to every state and do a workshop for every in every country, in every state where they don't have the right teachers, where they don't have, where they're missing that sort of aspect, where they need to hear the message of just like go out and just freaking do it and stop worrying about the outcome. And just so teaching for me is and in, in the workshops is really what I just I, I, I love doing. Again, people are paying their own money. They're not mm -hmm. doing they're not being forced to do it. There's no career. There's no certificate. There's no diploma. They're saying I want to learn something and I am ready and willing to move my life in a new direction. And maybe this guy has something to say. And I want to be that, that, that voice that, that in the art community that tells people that, listen, I, I didn't start with anything. You know, I, my, my drawings were horrible. I even show samples of my <laughs> early stuff. It was just horrible, 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 horrible stuff. But the desire <laughs> And the willingness and the want and what it takes of just the constant effort and energy that you got to put into this and the willingness to put in that time, you're going to achieve whatever you want to do. And just having the right mindset is what it takes. People think it's about the art. If, I, if I'm the best artist, that's when it's going to happen. Having the skill set is hugely important, but having the right mindset is 99% of it. Going into mm -hmm. this with, the, with that Again, the belief, the passion, the enthusiasm, the willingness, the, the disregarding failure, not worrying about that stuff. And this is what the message that I want to spread to these people and realize the power all these artists have because everyone needs and is wanting good content for everything. Mm -hmm. It's a platform. That's all we need. We've figured out how to clothe ourselves. We've figured out how to feed ourselves. We've figured out how to shelter ourselves. We're no longer the hunter and gatherers anymore that we once were. 
We're in this world of just this technology. It's just the same reason I signed up for Snapchat. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like we're in this new era with this new world. And if we have that, if we're just willing to do it, and I just got to throw in there again, I hope it's not too much getting in there if you guys are running long or anything, but there's a great show. I encourage everyone to watch the show, The Prophet. If you guys have ever seen that show, The Prophet, that show is just awesome. These people, these entrepreneurs who are needing, a, starting their business and they call upon this guy. But what I love about that, and I was just watching it the other night and I was watching about this florist and this florist <laughs> and she has this business. The deal never worked out with Marcus, you know, whatever happened. But the reality was she decided, she has this multi-million dollar florist company right now. She decided to all of a sudden one day become a florist. And by making that decision, you got to go full in. I'm going to become a florist. I got to get the building. I got to start finding out where I'm going to get these flowers from, how I'm going to get them shipped. I got to build up. You know, you, when you decide you want to do it, just go all in. And that's what it comes right. down to is make that commitment and go all in. And you don't half ass it and you don't just don't occasionally do it. I'm in it because this is what I want to do. And I think that's the commitment that's missing today as a whole, that people aren't fully in, in it. And if something goes wrong, they quit very easily mm -hmm. because they're not passionate about it. And that's why you mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta love flowers, right? You can't just say, I'm going to start a florist. <laughs> that be a flower. If you don't love flowers, don't be a florist. You know, if you don't love uh, 3d animation, don't be a 3d animator, you know, don't just do it just to get a job. You're going to be mm -hmm. so miserable, you know, and all these things. If you don't love drawing people, don't be a character designer, you know? So it's all these things. You've got to love it. And then, and then mm -hmm. you can do it. So before, right. before we wrap up, um, for everybody that missed out on the Kickstarter, is it still possible to get um, their hands on one of your books? Yeah, it is. Um, so they can, they can get it either directly through my website at silvertoons.com through my store if they want it signed. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, and I know the shipping is more expensive, unfortunately, especially international because of that's what shipping is. It's horrible. Um, but <laughs> otherwise, you can get it on Amazon. If you just go to type right. in the silver way on Amazon, you can get okay. it. Okay. Well, we'll leave we'll leave links. So um, to make it easy for you, so you don't have to say your whole list of how to get in contact with you. We'll leave that in our show notes. So we'll have links to all your social. We'll have links to your website. And then we'll have a link to your Kickstarter and information on how to pick up this book nice but i just wanted to finish up by saying thank you so much for have coming on it was a pleasure meeting you at that class and you know now getting to talk to you for the past hour or so <laughs> um it's i already knew this you are a very passionate man and it's very nice to see um the direction you're headed and kind of giving back to the community mm -hmm. I am inspired and exhausted at the same time. <laughs> hey, you know, thanks, Jared and Mark, for, you know, just, yeah, just doing this. Again, I'm, I'm a believer in what you guys are doing. And again, I, I love the fact, Thank Mark, you. that you took, this is what it comes out, the initiative at that moment. Again, you could have sat there and done nothing, but you came and introduced yourself and because we didn't know each other personally. And for mm -hmm. you to do that, again, it's a, it's a real sign and a real message I think just, you know, it's all about taking initiative, you know, whatever you want to do. And I appreciate that you guys uh, took the, that you do this uh, podcast and that um, you invited me on it. So thank you. 
Well, we'd, we'd love to have you back sometime. Um, I don't think there'll ever be a shortage of things to talk about with you. So <laughs> if, if you ever have something that you want to plug uh, coming up, let us know. We'd be happy to have you back on. Be my pleasure. Thank you. Um, but with that being said, if you aren't already following Stephen, like I said, go ahead and check out our show notes. There'll be links to how you can get in contact with him. For us, we are on all the socials at... Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are Squared Co. And our website is squaredco.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Thank you for listening to the Squared Co. podcast with Mark Morris and Jared Maruyama. Goodbye. What's the sitch?